I'm going to cover 10 chapters tonight. Okay? And hopefully we can get it done by the end of the year. But let me give you a comfort. I, be, I believe that there is no direct proportional relationship between the number of chapters in the Bible and the length of sermon. Okay? You are glad to find that out? Okay. So you should be back home in time. On a more serious note, like what Z suggested, if you have found that Ezekiel has been difficult, um, it is difficult. Okay? Even for me in my preparation, uh, this is my first sermon uh, in this series. I took some time last week and last night to keep reading Ezekiel. It is tough. Um, it is tough because of the imagery and the genre that Ezekiel is that we are not familiar with. It is difficult also because of the volume and the quantity of the materials that we are trying to get through. Um, so what I've tried to do for you is that uh, in the outline, I've given you a basic outline of Ezekiel on that page that I'm not going through, but hopefully that will give you a structure of what the whole book of Ezekiel is. Um, very simply, Ezekiel is just three parts. Okay? So keep helping one another, keep pushing one another on, read God's word, uh, cover, cover the readings at home, push forward when, even though it is difficult. Yeah? Okay, tonight we'll try to cover 24 to 33. Let's pray and ask God for help, shall we? Our Father in heaven, indeed, Jesus shall take the highest honor. Indeed, Jesus shall take the highest praise. For indeed, Father, our Lord Jesus lived the perfect life and he died the death that we deserve. He shed the blood to wash us clean. His body was broken for us. That we who are sinful, we who have rebelled against you, can now be reconciled to you. We thank you, Father, that by faith we can now be your daughters and sons, adopted children. And we thank you that tonight you have gathered us together around your word. We pray, Father, that by your spirit, would you please work in our hearts, work in our minds to strengthen us in faith, open our eyes uh, to see our Lord Jesus once again, exalted on high, seated on your right hand that we may be those who are confident of the salvation that he has gained for us. We may be those who live in confidence as aliens and strangers in this world, looking forward to his return. So we commit the next uh, uh, few minutes into your hands as we read Ezekiel. Please take the word and help us to understand. Plant it deep in us, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Are you still not getting it? Have you met someone that is really, really stubborn in your life? That you're like choking them in the throat. Are you still not getting it? In 1985, a man by the name Roger Boyce Jolly. Anyone recognize that name? Roger Boyce Jolly. He has been trying very, very hard to convince NASA that the rocket booster's O-ring would fail if they become too cold before the launch. 
all of the evening and into the morning hours of the launch day, boys jolly pleaded with NASA, trying again and again to convince them of this truth. But they just keep rejecting him again and again. Morning of January 28, 1986, Space Shuttle Challenger, as many of us would know, was launched. Just one minute later, one of the O-ring failed. The flame shot out of the booster, hit the hydrogen tank, exploded, killing all the astronauts on board. Have you ever tried to convince someone of something that is so plain and so evident? You try explaining from this angle and then from that angle. You just keep hammering the same point again and again. But the message doesn't seem to get through. The person just doesn't get it. Does he still not get it? What is wrong with him? Which planet are you from? It is so blatantly obvious. What is it going to take to finally get through that thick skull of yours? Women, I'm not talking about men, okay? Well, if you have experienced that kind of frustration and desperation in trying to convince someone, this evening you can probably ex uh, identify with the prophet Ezekiel. Because for more than four years, Ezekiel has been trying persistently to convince the exiled Israelites in Babylon of some very obvious truth. But the message just keeps hitting the brick wall. They just don't seem to get it. More than that, not only will you find yourself identifying with Ezekiel, you may find yourself identifying with God himself. Let's dive into the passage and you see what I mean. Chapter 24, that was read to us earlier. In this chapter, we saw two attempts from God through Ezekiel to convince the exiled Israelites of two very simple points. Point number one, Israel has abandoned God and they have sinned against him. Number two, God is therefore angry with Israel and he is judging them. Seems to be very simple points, isn't it? But it takes very, very, very hard work to drill into the Israelite hate, as we shall see. In verses 1 to 14, the first half, we were given a cooking imagery. At first, it seems to be pretty positive, isn't it? Ezekiel sounded like Jamie Oliver singing a happy cooking song. Verse 3, set on the pot, set it on, put in the water, put in the yummy ties, pile the logs, turn up the fire, boil it well. Is Ezekiel preparing a feast for celebration? Are things finally getting better for Israel? That good news of deliverance is here? Not at all. Verse 6, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, to the port whose corrosion is in it, and whose corrosion has not gone out of it. Jerusalem is here likened to a deeply corroded port. The port is foul, it is filled, and it is stuck with all kinds of pollution of people's wickedness. Bloodshed is all over the city. Violence and murder is rampantly everywhere. Blood is all over the place. And so, verse 8, this has arose God's wrath 
to take vengeance. And then verse 9, it says, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city. I will make the power great. That's the fire. Heap on the logs, kindle the fire, boil the meat well, mix in the spices, and let the bones, the bones, be burned up. Then set it empty on the coals, that it may become hot, red hot, white hot, and its copper may burn, that its uncleanness may be melted in it, and its corrosion consumed. What is the message of the cooking pot? Well, God is saying to Israel, Israel, please understand this. Today, the Babylonian army is going to start attacking Jerusalem. And you know why. Because Jerusalem is morally, socially corrupt. They have abandoned God. They have sinned against Him. God is angry and He's sending in the Babylonian army to burn up the whole city. And friends, this is not the first time that we have seen God trying to convince His people of their sin and what's happening. All He wants is for them to recognize these two simple truths. That they have abandoned God, they have sinned against Him, and that God is angry with them, and that He is judging them. In the past few weeks, if you have been with us here, you will see that Ezekiel has been working very hard, a lot of overtime for him. Through different ways of communication, he keeps trying to tell the people the same thing again and again and again and again. Let me read to you now from chapter 5, one of the many attempts from the past chapters, just so that you can feel for yourself just how thick the scowl of the Israelites were and what a struggle it has been for Ezekiel and for God to convince them of this simple truth. Chapter 5, verse 5, let me read. Thus says the Lord God, This is Jerusalem. I've set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. And she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries all around her. For they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are more turbulent than the nations that are all around you and have not walked in my statutes or obeyed my rules and have not even acted according to the rules of the nations that are all around you, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, even I, am against you and I will execute judgments in your midst in the sides of the nations. And because of all your abominations, I will, deal, I will do with you what I've never yet done and the like of which I'll never do again. Therefore, fathers shall eat their sons in, their, in your midst and sons shall eat their fathers. I will execute judgments on you and any of you who survive, I will scatter to all the winds. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore I will withdraw. My eye will not spare, I will have no pity. A third part of you shall die of pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. A third part of you shall fall by the sword all around you. And the third part I will scatter to all the winds and will unsheathe the sword after them. There is no room for misinterpretation from such clear message, isn't it? It is very clear. Israel has abandoned God. They have sinned against Him. 
God is angry and He is judging them. Let me read to you chapter 8 of what Israel is doing. You can just listen. Chapter 8, reading from verse 7 to verse 18. And he, that is God, brought me, that is uh, Ezekiel, to the entrance of the court there in the temple. And when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, dig the wall. So I darkened the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing here. Here. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Zedaniah and the son of Shaphan standing among them. Each has his censer in his hand, and the smoke of a cloud of incense went up. And then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his own room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us, and the Lord has forsaken the land. He said to me, You will see greater abominations that they commit. And he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. Remember that it is house of the Lord that they are in. And behold, they set a women, they set women weeping. But weeping for? Tammuz, an idol. And he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? You will see greater abominations than this. And he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about twenty-five men, with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. What are they doing? Worshipping the sun towards the east in the house of the Lord. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing that the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and promote me, provoke me still further to anger? Behold, they put the branch up to their nose. Therefore I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with loud voice, I will not hear. Israel has clearly abandoned God. Yes, they have sinned against Him. Yes, they may be regular temple goers, just like regular church goers today. They go to temples regularly, but they worship anything and everything except God in His temple. God is no fool. He's clearly angry with Israel and he's going to judge them. So, in the second half of chapter 24, God, through Ezekiel, tries one more time to convince Israel of their guilt. Ezekiel, who have thought to himself at this point, this is going to be the last straw. If this doesn't convince Israel of what he has been saying, probably nothing will. So verse 16, what happened? Verse 16, God took the delight, chapter 24, back to chapter 24. Chapter 24, verse 16. God took the delight of Ezekiel's eyes away from him at a stroke. Verse 16. 
the delight of his eyes, that is all of a sudden, without warning, Ezekiel's beloved, youthful wife dropped dead. All of a sudden, she just died. And what's the message to Israel? It is the same message all along again. Israel, are you still not getting it? God is angry with you and he will be judging you. Which of these words that I'm saying that you cannot understand? Look, just as God, had, just as God can take and had taken from Ezekiel the delight of his eye, that's his wife, God can take and will take the delight of your eyes. Jerusalem, your beautiful temple. God is going to destroy it and it is your sins that have caused this to happen. Imagine with me for a while the sin in Ezekiel's house on that day. I can see Ezekiel gazing at the lifeless body of his lovely young wife in the room. He looked up and he see the rest of the Israelites in front of him. Look at them, look at the body, and he says to them, Guys, if this, pointing to the body, if this does not confront you with the reality of what I've been saying, if this does not drive you to repentance before it is too late, I don't know what will, and God alone will be your judge. Fellow Israelites, please, 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 please wake up from your stupid idea. What is it so difficult for you to understand? You have blatantly sinned against your God, you get it? You have abandoned your God, you get it? In the words of chapter 16, Israel, you have played the whole with the Egyptians, with your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whoring to provoke God to anger. You played the whore also with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played the whore with them and still you were not satisfied. You did all these things, the deeds of the brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making a lofty place in every square. Yet, you were not like a prostitute because you scorn payment. Instead, you are an adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her own husband. Men give gifts to all the prostitutes, but you, you gave gifts to your, all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you were different from all other women in whorings. No one solicited you to play the whore, and you gave payment, while no payment was given to you. Israel, Israel, which planet are you from? Should an adulterous wife who sleeps around outside come home expecting to find a smiling, approving husband? You must be kidding. Israel, you sin against God. You abandon him for idols again and again. And now you still can't get it that God is angry with you? That he's going to judge you and that you should repent? What is wrong with you, Israel? Tell me, Israel, what does it take to get true into you? Do you want God to send His Son? His one and only beloved Son, 
to come to you and convince you? Would that finally get you to face up to the reality that you have abandoned God, that you have sinned and that He's angry and that He's going to judge you? Will that finally do the trick for you? Friends, we know that it didn't, isn't it? In Mark chapter 12, Jesus taught this parable. Let me read to you. A man planted a vineyard and put fans around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower, a great vineyard. He leased it to his tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruits from the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another. And they killed him. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son, my only son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. The Gospel of John in chapter 19 records for us how Israel treated God's Son when He truly came to this earth. Pilate sought to release Jesus, but the Jews, the Jews cried out to Him, If you release this man, Jesus, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So Pilate, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone of Pavement. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out to him. The Jews cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest, the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Friends, can you feel for God? Very garam, isn't it? Do you feel that? Can you feel the brick wall that God has been hitting again and again and again and again with Israel? What else has, not, has God not done for Israel? And what has God done to deserve such a treatment from His covenanted people? What has He done? Israel has abandoned God and sinned against Him, no doubt. God is rightfully angry with Israel and He's going to judge them. So in chapter 33, we, saw, we see, in the twelfth year of, your exile, of our exile, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been struck down. Jerusalem has been destroyed. Yeah. Now, moving on to chapter 25 to 32. Point 2. 
In chapter 25 to 32, we see that God, the God who is angry with Israel and is judging Israel, as we have seen, is angry also with the nations. And he will judge them too. In chapter 25, we see prophecies against Ammon, Moab, Seir, Edom, and Philistia. In chapter 26 to 28, we see prophecies against Tyre and Sidon. In chapter 29 to 32, we see prophecies against Egypt. These prophecies reveal two further points that Israel needs to grab about their God. Point number one, they must understand that their God is universal sovereign over all international affairs. Point number two, they must understand that besides their God, all other powers and empires are transient. This evening, you'll be glad to know, we'll be only focusing on one of these nations, Tyre. Okay? And I'll use that to illustrate the point. So first of all, let's try to get a picture of what kind of city is Tyre. 27 verse 3. O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the heart of the seas. Your builders made perfect your beauty. They made all your planks from the fir trees of Sunil. They took the cedar from Lebanon to make the mast for you. Verse 8, the inhabitants of Sidon and Avad were your rollers. Your skilled men, O Tyre, were in you. They were your pilots. Verse 10, Persia and Lut and Put were in your army as your men for war. They hung the shield and helmet in you. They gave you splendor. Verse 12, Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth of every kind silver and iron and tin and lead and exchange for your wares. We get the picture. Tyre was a very, very powerful trading city on the Mediterranean coast back in those days. It is strategically located. It is well protected. Everything seems to revolve around her because of her economic dominance. Such a city is seemingly untouchable. Many of the Israelites in exile would have hoped that they could find security in this new world superpower, that Tyre could perhaps challenge and defeat Babylonians and therefore gain release for them. But God thinks otherwise. Chapter 28, verse 1, this is what God thinks of Tyre, of this great city. 28, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre. Thus says the Lord God. Because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seats of the gods, in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God though you make your heart like the heart of a god. You are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made well for yourself and have gathered gold and silver in your treasuries. By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore thus says the Lord God, 
because, your, because you make your heart like the heart of a god, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a god in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no god in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of this uncircumcised by the hands of the foreigners. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. What we have seen earlier this evening when Israel abandoned God and sinned against him, God is angry with Israel and he judges them, isn't it? Rightly so, for he is their God and they are his people. What we have just seen here in chapter 28 is that Israel's God is universally sovereign over all international affairs, over the whole world. When a nation like Tyre abandon God, God is angry and will judge them as well. The nations may not be God's covenantal people, but they are his creature. He is their creator. When creatures abandon their creator, when they pretend to be creator and to be God themselves, God is obviously angry. Rightly so and he will judge them, and he can judge them. An economic giant, a world superpower like Tyre, that seems so untouchable, is simply peanuts in God's hands. All her wealth and power is useless against the sovereignty of God. Verse 19, Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, I will make you a city laid waste like the cities that have not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters to cover you. The very thing that makes Tyre great, that he finds themselves proud of and strong, the waters, the Creator can simply wish his hand and Tyre will be gone. Why? Because he is the Creator and they are the creature. The nations abandon God, God is angry, and he will judge the nations. Point three. Let's try to pull some strings together as I draw to a close. What have we seen in Ezekiel tonight? We have seen that Israel abandoned God. They have sinned against God, the covenantal God, and God is angry and he judges them. We have also seen that the nations abandon God. As a result, God is angry and God judges them too. And friends, I think throughout the talk, you would have felt for God, isn't it? You have identified with God and with Ezekiel of how difficult it has been for him to convince Israel of this very simple truth. 
that they have abandoned God, they have sinned against Him, He is angry, and that He will judge them. We have seen how stubborn Israel has been. God keeps banging the same message again and again, but it just doesn't seem to get through the thick skull. And by seeing how stubborn Israel has been, I think it shows us how patient God is. Seeing some of the ways that Israel has treated God, you almost feel like telling God at one point, God, why did you just forget about them? Isn't it? Why bother? Why bother to be so patient with such rebellious people? You have done your part, God. They are the one who is in the wrong. Look at how unrepentant they are, whoring in the broad daylight under your nose. They just don't seem to get it. Well, at that point, we thank God, isn't it? We thank God that we are not God. God is not like us. God is patient, very patient with Israel. So as Christians, recognize it again tonight, what it took God to bear with not just Israel's rebellion. For you and I know that God's word tells us not only Israel, not only the nations have abandoned God, not only Israel deserves judgment, not only the nations deserve judgment, the whole of humanity has been unrepentant and rebellious against God. And thank God that He's a patient God, unlike us. And as we went through the passages today, as I read through God's assessment of Israel, as I read through the passages that described Israel's sin, their attitudes, their whorings, the images of prostitution, whoring after idols. Did not the Holy Spirit take those words to convict you of your sins as well? The different ways in which you come to church week after week and yet we are whoring after idols? We don't need to be shy about idols because we know that I look at you, I know that you have an idol. You look at me, I know that I have an idol. So why is there to be shy about? If we are shy about it, then we don't need to come to church. We don't need Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ because we have been whoring after idols and we have invited God's judgment. But instead of the judgment of God falling on us, the judgment of God fell on Jesus. He took our punishment. By faith, we are those who are saved. We are now his church brothers and sisters, we can be those who can be real with one another's idol. We do not need to be superior. Oh, my idol is smaller than yours. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, there's no such thing. If you think like that, read Ezekiel again. He's going to be very, very blatant with you. Your idol is a prostitute. You are a prostitute and you are a prostitute as well. How are you one prostitute telling the other prostitute that what, you are a better prostitute? <laughs> In God's heart, you are a whore means you are a whore. You need Jesus, and all of us need Jesus. Right? So what we have seen tonight is that the world has abandoned God. God is angry. He will judge the world. And as Christians, we know that the gospel tells us the judgment fell on him. The judgment fell on him, that those who believe may have life. But let me also read to you Acts 
last as I end, God also tells us that the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of these he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That is, yes, the full judgment, the full wrath of God is taken on the cross. Those who believe in him will survive the wrath of God that will come in Jesus' coming. But the certainty is, Jesus will come. God's judgment will come. We have seen in Ezekiel, God told the Israelites, Jerusalem will fall. Jerusalem will fall. Jerusalem will fall. Israel thought that God is crying wolf. Just like many people today, things that we are crying wolf. But keep crying wolf. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus will judge. The only way to be saved is believe in Jesus. Do you know why we keep crying wolf as Christians? Because we know that the wolf will come. And we need to tell people that the wolf will surely come. Okay? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that despite our stubborn heart, our hard-heartedness, our rebellious against you, our hearts of whoring after idols, worshipping everything and anything but you, in your kindness and your goodness, the judgment that we deserve fell on Jesus. He lived the perfect life that we failed to live, and yet he took the death that we deserve. We thank you, Father, for our Lord Jesus, who died our death, that we may have new life. Father, we pray for anyone in our midst tonight who do not yet know our Lord Jesus, who do not yet know the salvation that he offers, the refuge that he offers to protect us from the wrath that will come when Jesus returns. We pray for them that you may please them, please, by your Holy Spirit, bear this truth upon their hearts, that they may be those who believe that judgment is coming, for humanity have sinned against you. But salvation is found in Jesus. A true faith, we can be saved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.